Andreas. Andreas. It is April 2021. A couple of weeks ago, we went to see our friend Mary to get a haircut in her private little hair studio where she lives. My husband, Mario and Mary love to chat in Spanish about this and that, and I enjoy their joyful company, listening to what little I understand. Mary and her husband moved to the US from Ecuador 20 years ago. When I met her the first time in 2006, she was an employee at a tiny hair salon in the basement on Roosevelt Avenue. Later, she owned the salon. But Mary suffers from asthma and working continually with hair chemicals was compromising her health. So she sold her business and started to work privately. Her husband is a carpenter. They bought a house in a nice area of Queens and he fixed it really nicely. They have their own apartment in the house, including Mary's studio, an apartment for their older son and his wife upstairs, and three other units they rent. But last year, COVID-19 came into their lives. Mary's husband got really ill. And even though he recovered from it, He lost his drive and energy. Now she varies a lot about what the future will bring. Last March 2020, everything changed. New York became the epicenter of COVID-19. On Sunday, March 14th, in a very emotional celebration, the city of New York remembered the more than 30,000 New Yorkers who died because of COVID-19 since the beginning of the pandemic. Two weeks later, my entire family tested positive for COVID. At Mount Sinai Hospital, my mom and I were discharged. Unfortunately, my dad was not. Relatives of the deceased shared stories of their loved ones as huge images of them were being projected onto the pillars of the Brooklyn Bridge. It was heartbreaking to hear them say they didn't realize that when they brought their parents, grandparents and siblings to the hospital, they would never see them again. So I just said, al rato hablamos pa. I'll talk to you later. They spoke about missing a chance for a final hug, about losing a loved one and not being able to come together as a family to mourn, about COVID-19 as a lonely path of devastation. My dad, Francisco Juarez. Mario and I live in Elmhurst an immigrant working-class area in northern Queens. Here, 90,000 people share a little bit more than a square mile, three square kilometers. 
many overcrowded apartments, a high density of restaurants and businesses and an intense urban street life made our neighborhood an easy target for the fast-spreading virus. Elmhurst Hospital is only a few blocks away from our building. With 545 beds available, it is one of only 11 remaining public hospitals in New York, a city of 8.5 million. Right after the city went into lockdown, it became the epicenter of the pandemic in New York and the country. By early April, it was hopelessly overwhelmed with Covid cases, with huge lines of people outside who wanted to be tested, patiently waiting next to refrigerated trucks for the dead. Those days, the silence in the streets was eerie. Instead of the usual buzz of cars and voices, the sounds of birds, ambulance sirens and hovering helicopters dominated day and night. It was apocalyptic. Still, every evening at 7 p.m., like in many other cities around the world, people hit pots and pens by their windows and cheered on in tribute to the health workers, nurses and doctors risking their lives at the hospital. My teapot has dents from that time. It makes me smile when I see them. Since then, I have learned an Asian neighbor lives on the other corner of the street and a Latino family with small children in the building across. We were waving at each other too, saying we are alive, we are here and maybe we love you. A year ago, on April 10th, Mayor de Blasio announced the city had started to bury the dead at Hart Island until they could be given proper burials. Already 5,300 people had died in just three weeks. He said the subway would run during the day and shut down for cleaning at night. Unprecedented in the city. Newscasters told people to stay home and, if possible, avoid travel. I remember taking a walk in the Flushing Meadows Park near where we live and heading back home after hearing those announcements, thinking life on the planet was going to change drastically. Okay, so you come inside our little apartment and first thing you do is put your grocery bags down. Take off your shoes and put your keys, wallet and any mail in the aluminum tray. Then you take the spray bottle, filled with water and some chlorine, and spray each other everywhere you might have touched something. The soles of your shoes and the outside of the bags. Then you can step in, take your mask and gloves off and go wash your hands. After that you can bring the bags into the kitchen and grab some tissues with disinfectant and clean every package inside them. The vegetables and fruits go into chlorinated water for a few minutes and are then rinsed with fresh water and dried. We call this the COVID ritual, sometimes a source of frustration, aggression and annoyance. After everything was stored away, we would feel totally exhausted and sit down in our sofas for afternoon tea. Friends from Germany thought we were overreacting and we should be careful not to become paranoid. Many of them live in communities in the countryside or small towns with biological gardens and a lot of open space. Another friend, also from Germany, forwarded me an article about the government's supposed secret plans to take away the basic rights of people with the help of a fake virus. 
When I asked him if he had watched the news reports with the death counts, he answered he refused to pay attention to official news and he wanted to know what deaths I was talking about. I erased his number for good. I refused to deal with highly privileged people who lived in a self-created alternative reality so they could tell themselves they know more than everybody else. Having witnessed how the US was falling apart because of a total lack of leadership and politicians who really cared, Chancellor Angela Merkel's first public speech from early March nearly made me cry. From my perspective, Germany was doing everything right at that time. But there was an increasing number of people who wanted to enjoy their beers with their pals. A dangerous mix of people from the far right, the alternative scene and frustrated citizens were starting to demonstrate under the label of Querdenker, unconventional thinkers. They were unconventionally loud, but not thinking at all. It was early May when I read the first article published in a major German news outlet about the death of New York City. A German journalist living in New York lamented the empty streets, the closed theaters, museums and restaurants. The version of New York he loved had ceased to exist and he was wondering if he should return home. The city was fighting for its life and this journalist was upset that he couldn't enjoy his nightlife anymore. Many more articles, radio features and reports followed with similar notions. Later I realized the pandemic had burst all our bubbles. New York City and the people living in it were having to confront their core identity. Who am I when I can't do this or that anymore? Who am I confined within the walls of my apartment? Who am I without that rush of productivity? What does a city become? when the days and nights are quiet. Sadly, the articles didn't reflect the expectations of their authors. New York City is not the city that never sleeps, nor the naked city, nor the Big Apple. It is a huge city with a unique mix of people and cultures trying to survive together. I think the massive slowdown of activities challenged its image as a city always on the go. Now I can see a city of all sorts of people. A city not for tourists or the rich, but for the millions who keep it going. A city where everyday folks question their identity as they always have. A city that realized its true potential lies in its people, not its imposing iconic buildings or its nightlife. In all the years living here I learned New York is a city of networks, not so much of communities. But now these networks had to prove they could offer more than chit-chat and interesting opportunities. And they did, for the most part. They stepped up to help those in need. Meanwhile, the rich white areas became increasingly empty. In the wealthiest blocks, in neighborhoods like the Upper East Side, the West Village, Soho and Brooklyn Heights, the population decreased by 40% or more. Previous residents there retreated with their families into their mansions and holiday apartments in Long Island or the Hudson Valley upstate, where real estate increased fivefold. Roughly 5% of residents, or about 420,000 people, left the city between March and May 1st alone. 
As the pandemic has continued with the uncertainty of whether schools will reopen fully, upper-middle-class families are also leaving. Many artists have left the city as well. They couldn't afford to live here anymore without work when the city is shut down. The virus exposed the huge disparities that exist in the city. Rents have gone down a bit, gentrification slowed a bit, and city council members are debating about racism and inequality on a different level than before. 40 miles of streets were declared car-free so New Yorkers can walk and exercise while keeping social distance. Restaurants were allowed to increase their capacity by having outside seating, which changed the atmosphere of many streets. In the middle of the pandemic, poor people are struggling more than ever, and New York is trying desperately to reinvent itself. Oh my God, Andreas, your oxygen level is just 91. Yeah. In mid-February, Mario and I contracted COVID-19. Breathe deeply, breathe deeply. Yeah, have you shown? Okay, you, you, you're supposed to do four counts and hold two, yeah, yeah. four out. I have you shown gemacht. Did I did it. I did that. Why are you speaking to me in German? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I did that. Okay. Okay. Just sit straight. Look, 92. <sighs> okay. Just stay still and drink water. You have to drink lots of water. We battled the virus a full six weeks. Museums and gyms had reopened since September and we had always been very careful to wear two masks on the subway. Three times a week we went to our gym in Manhattan and worked out with a face mask on. Still, we got the virus. We both had fever, heavy cough, congestion and shortness of breath. Mario had a strong pain in his throat and the infection was moving to his chest. He had a heart attack a year and a half ago, so he qualified for an antibody infusion to prevent the virus from attacking his lungs. He had to go to a hospital in Astoria, another neighborhood, to get it. Alone, sick, in freezing weather. I had low oxygen levels and pain in my ears. Some days things got scary. <coughs> Andreas, <coughs> Andreas, are you okay? Yeah. What's the matter? That morning I was lying in the bathtub with my clothes on and I had no idea how I got there. It turns out the virus was affecting my blood sugar and blood pressure and I fainted. I just collapsed into the tub and found myself dazed, feeling the cool ceramic. I have to be careful with my balance. To this day, I have trouble wearing my headphones more than half an hour because the pressure becomes so intense. Mario's cough, though mild, comes and goes. We have no idea if we'll develop long-term COVID symptoms. Yet, we were lucky we could stay at home the entire time and not be hospitalized. Our closest friends prepared delicious home-cooked meals they delivered to our door. They treated us to gravy-smothered pork chops, spaghetti with tomato sauce and a rich chicken soup. We felt their love for 10 days straight. Family and friends checked in on us daily and we realized we are deeply cared for. Yeah. 
Back to Mary. Her husband's mother died recently and nobody from their family in the US could go to say goodbye to her or even to her funeral. They wouldn't have the energy to travel, not after Covid and so much anxiety. They were devastated. So I baked a carrot cake for them and we were glad to share our thoughts and some laughter with her when we saw her. After our haircut we walked through the wonderful forest park in Queens. We took off our masks in the fresh spring air and took a selfie. We look very handsome again with a fresh haircut. I am suddenly, as we say in Germany, nah am Wasser gebaut, riding close to the water, close to tears often. Even little emotional scenes like the ones in the cooking shows we watch on TV move me to tears. Every year birds try to make a nest outside on the windowsill under the sleeve of our air conditioner. Normally we shoo them away. Who wants to wake up every morning at 5 a.m. to hear them chirp? But this year was different. We have allowed them to stay and yesterday I observed the little one, still with some fluffy feathers, jump off the window ledge and fly. We've survived Covid so far. New York will survive it too and, like us, the city will change greatly in the process. I'm glad we will be part of it. Music for this episode was created by Blue Mount Score, Zenman and Enrique27 Naveda and published on Pixabay. Sign up to get my newsletter at andreasworldstage.com.